Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, welcome back to Ayers on the Road. We're glad to be with you today. We're actually, in fact, uh, in two separate locations today. I'm uh, I'm in Las Vegas playing in a tennis tournament, and Linda is... In Hawaii with my sister, which is awesome. My sister's husband died about 12 years ago, and she usually has family members or friends that go with her because she has a place up in Hawaii. And this year, everybody canceled out, and she called and said, want to go? And I said, sure, I want to go. That, that was awesome. I, I'm so excited. How often do you get to spend five days with your very own sister? Oh, I thought you were going to say, oh, say, how often do you get to spend five days alone and free from your husband <laughs> who always wants to sort of dominate your time? Oh, there is some of that, but, you know, it really is going to be fun, and I'm going to miss you a lot. Well, I'll tell you what's interesting is that um, we we really love this, separate and apart from what we might say that might be valuable to listeners, we love doing ours on the road for ourselves because it's the one consistent thing in our life. We know every week we are going to do this show, no matter where we are, no matter whether we're together or on the road, as it says. And a couple of our children are like, yeah, we sometimes wonder where you guys are, but then we just listen to ours on the road, and we know where you are and what you're doing and so on. So it's almost like a, a an audio journal for us. But we've been on the road a lot lately, Linda. We've been tracking down grandkids. We went to Arizona the other day to, to see our daughter play volleyball. Boy, that was exciting. That was is, exciting. Is it just my imagination, or is she the best volleyball player for her age in the universe? Yeah, for sure. I'm for sure, sure she is. Absolutely. She is a little sparkling light down there. She's playing on the JV this year, but they put, have her sit with the varsity, and then we figured out why. Because she's such a great cheerleader. <laughs> she, she actually stands up and does little cheerleading things, little moves and all that, and everybody joins in and... And it just makes a sparkly room when that girl's in the room. You know, when we first started doing this show nearly 10 years ago, Ayers on the Road meant that we were always traveling somewhere on a book tour, giving a speech or doing something with our with our efforts to, you know, promote family and to talk about parenting and marriage and so on. And we were just traveling, frankly, a little too much. We had one year when we we were only we were home less than 100 days during the year and most of it was this book and speaking routine and you know we said let's cut back on travel and do more of it online so we we do a lot of our speaking now with zoom or with with skype and you can actually talk to a bigger audience that way than if you're in an auditorium so we've loved it but the irony is we haven't stopped traveling because we're traveling for different reasons. We now. have We're to, just keep, trying up to keep up with our up with kids, these grandkids. Our grandkids and our children. It really is. It's so fun, but they do live in really great places. You know, we have a son in Zurich, a daughter in London, a son in New York City, a son in Hawaii, all with children, and it is really fun. I promise we didn't design that or engineer no, it. No, we just did not. Happened that way. Also in Arizona, which is the best place to visit in the winter, in the winter. on the earth. 
We're going to be in, in New York with our son and daughter in New York City for Christmas. Boy, New York's a wonderful place to, to spend Christmas. But we never feel selfish about it because we're actually going to visit the grandkids. Right. Right, <laughs> right exactly. Except they do live in a five-story walk-up. So um, <laughs> it is a little bit of a, of a jaunt to get up there, especially I've had a knee replacement, so I am going to struggle a little bit with that the next time we go, but I'll be okay. We spent a lovely little bit of time in Switzerland with one of our beautiful little granddaughters, and we were in London, and uh, we're just hearing from London about our efforts of this youngest daughter of ours to infuse the British people with the spirit of Halloween and Thanksgiving, <laughs> these these American holidays that uh, yeah that our kid at least that one does not plan to give up no matter where I she lives. I think they do better <laughs> on Christmas actually than I mean on Easter than we do. Oh, actually, they do. I do think they do. Oh, they, well, and they have Guy Fox Day. They have a lot of holidays. Oh yeah, they we have holidays have. that we don't have. But that's true. But my point is, our daughter Charity, she'll take that holiday with her no matter what. She had one little little three year old named Moses, who this year for Halloween was a bison, because bison is his favorite animal. <laughs> I made him so happy the other day. I had a I have a belt that uh, is actually made from buffalo hide, and uh, it was a little too long for me, so I cut off a little piece and sent it to him. Just this dumb little chunk of leather, but I told him it was skin from a bison. And that's his favorite thing in the world. Yeah, it is. He, <laughs> so he was a bison for Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his little brother was a lion. I hope the lion didn't eat the bison. I hope not, or vice versa. Stop <laughs> it. But anyway, um, it is really a fun time. A fun time with kids and grandkids. And going into the holiday season. Going you know, into- I hope you all anticipate this holiday season. So many chances, more than any other time of the year, really. To have quality time with our children, with our families. Well, and of course, Thanksgiving is our very favorite, our very favorite, and we'll we'll have to just we'll do talk one a little show more on about that. But I, I will say that family traditions, I think, reach their peak at, at uh, Thanksgiving and at and at Christmas. And we always encourage parents to revise their traditions. I mean, our our early traditions on Thanksgiving. Let's be honest eat way too much and watch football all day. That was our tradition. Yeah. yeah. Boy, we got it to where now, though, it's a tradition. We'll tell you more about this more in about a future it, yeah. show of being thankful and making lists and so on. But today, and I think it's appropriate as a lead into the holidays, we're talking about a subject that is so important to families and to individuals, namely the subject of freedom and what is real freedom and how does a person enhance their freedom, and how do we as parents make our children really free? And of course, we're thinking about, I mean, there's the wonderful scripture that says, um, know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And we've always felt, even in our writing career, that, you know, the three things that bring the most joy are, first of all, our relationship to God or to Christ, secondly, our families, and thirdly, Freedom, finding real freedom, the real, the real freedom that lasts and that, and that works for us. And I guess there are false freedoms and there are true freedoms. And I wrote a book years ago called Free to be Free. And I wondered if um, 
I wonder if we can read you just a little case study to kind of get into this. Um, this was written in the winter of 1981. Well, this, is a, this is a case study about a person, a person in the winter, and it happened to be 1981. Okay. Arthur F. has been married for nine years. He has been an engineer for seven years. He's been a father for six years, and he's been what we call partly miserable for all those years. <laughs> Don't ask Arthur to describe to you what he means by that. He can't explain it to himself. It's an interesting case, you see, because Arthur has moments of genuine contentment, even flashes of joy, and he has the things he has always assumed would equate to happiness. He has a family, a good job, he's young and strong, and he has all the temporal necessities of life and even what he considers a luxury or two. And you know what? If you ask Arthur if he's happy, he would say yes. In fact, if the Gallup poll asked Arthur if he was very happy, somewhat happy, or unhappy, or very unhappy, Arthur would probably say very happy. Then maybe to himself he would say, but I'm partly miserable. He would say that that just to preserve his self-image as an honest and candid person. One night recently in an honest mood such as that, Arthur told me he was partly miserable and didn't really know why. Drawing on the amateur psychiatrist that is in all of us, I queried and then I probed. With lots of coasting, coaxing, excuse me, Arthur finally came up with three reasons for his on-again, off-again depression. Number one, he isn't too happy with where he lives. He would rather live in another part of the country. Two, his prostate acts up occasionally, and he's susceptible to recurring infections. And three, everyone feels miserable once in a while, and he just feels a little more often than most people. Well, strike three, he missed on every guess. Now let us tell you what actually troubles Arthur. He's aware of each thing we're going to tell you, but he's not aware that they're the reasons for his miserableness. First, Arthur is a second guesser. More bluntly, he has doubts. Doubts about serious things. He second guesses his occupation, wondering almost daily if this friend or that friend has a more interesting or rewarding career than he, and if his abilities might be better suited for a profession other than the one he is in. Occasionally, particularly in the event of a quarrel with his wife, he second-guesses his marriage. He wonders if he knew enough about his wife before the wedding. Indeed, he wonders if at age 21 he knew enough about himself to make the right marriage choice. Second, Arthur's conscience isn't as clear as it could be. There are a couple of things from his past that he hates to admit even to himself and that he's never admitted to anyone else, including his wife. They've been with him for a long, long time, these mistakes, and he doesn't think much about them anymore. Time heals, he tells himself, and he tells himself that he doesn't really need to revisit those things. Finally... And he would never admit this. In fact, he would argue the point. Arthur is afraid of the future. He's afraid that his doubts will turn into consistent dissatisfaction. He's afraid that his conscience will never be completely clear that he will eventually add some other serious mistakes just to dilute the significance of the ones he's carried for so long. 
and he's a little afraid that no one, literally no one, will ever understand just how he feels. So that's one of many, many case studies in this in this little book called Free to Be Free. And the and the point that it's making and that a lot of these stories make is that what we really, really, really want to be free from is is three things. We want to be free from doubts. We want to we want to be free from this second guessing and did we do the right thing and are we in the right place and so on. Second, we want to be free from guilt. We want to get rid of the guilt we have. And third, we want to be free from fear, the fear of the future. And it's those three kinds of freedom, getting free from doubt, from guilt, and from fear that we really ought to be trying to do because they work so powerfully against us. Well, uh, but I have a question about that. Don't you think everybody has some doubts? Maybe not about difficult things about whether or not they'd like to ship their child off to somewhere else or whether (laughs) they, you know, marry the right person or whatever the doubts are. Um, There really are... Well, yeah, no one's free from any of those things, but... But I think the point of the little book, Free to Be Free, is can we work, can we understand that there are true freedoms and false freedoms? I mean, people, the false freedoms are, hey, I want to I have more money, be able to do exactly what I want and not have to do things I don't want. In other words, I want freedom from responsibility or I want freedom from obligation, yeah. or I want freedom from routine. I want, I want all the things that money can buy. I want all the things that, uh, that I want the freedoms that it looks like other people have because they're not tied down like I am. And the, and the point is that's not the real freedom. Those aren't the things that actually make us unhappy. They may tie us down and they may burden us a little, but working with those things actually brings happiness. And, and where, the, where, the, where, the, where the lack of freedom really brings unhappiness is when, when we're not free of doubt, we're not free of guilt, we're not free of fear. And so we have some suggestions, and these are especially important to parents and families, on how to get over some of those things and how to not let them occur. Let's talk about the first one for a minute. How, how in the world can you be free from doubt? Yeah, I that's mean, what I'm asking. Isn't doubt a normal thing? And would you want to be completely free of doubt? No. But making decisions the right way, getting confirmation, spiritual confirmation on decisions, really can stop us from a lot of second-guessing, you know? One of the things we always are always telling young people when they're trying to make a decision about their career or about who to marry or about where to live, you know, you've got to analyze it on your own. You've got to think it through on your own. Try to come to the right conclusion. But if you have any level of faith, if you have any sense of a higher power, please, please, please take that decision that you have made in prayer and meditation and whatever you feel comfortable doing to that higher power and ask for a confirmation. Can I have a feeling that this is right? Can I have some sort of a witness, some sort of a confirmation, even if it's nothing more than a calm, peaceful soul, a peaceful heart that tells me, yes, this is right. Go for it. Because once you have that, you're, you're, 
you're more free of second guessing the tyranny of the second guess, the tyranny of doubt that makes you always look back and wonder, did I do the right thing? Am I in the right place? Did I marry the right person? Should I have had this child? We can mitigate all those things and you can do it after the fact. Even if you've made a lot of these decisions, I believe it's possible through prayer and real heavy thought to get a higher power confirmation these things are right carry on but my question would be um do you can you have a a thing where you feel like you made the right decision you got a confirmation and then you get to a point like why did i do that why did i decide on that and then you have to reflect back. Yeah, you have to remember. You, remember. you almost have to write down that confirmation when it comes and cement it in. And I think you can overcome the, this, this. You can gain this freedom from guilt as well. And we'll talk a little more about that and how it applies to our families and our children right after we take this short break on Ours on the Road. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back talking about how to be free and actually how to be free to be free. And a fourth thing, we talked about trying to free yourself from doubt and from guilt and from fear. And some of the ways are pretty obvious. I mean, the way to free ourselves from guilt is to repent. The way to free ourselves from guilt is to open up and talk about things. But we have been amazed, Linda, at how many, and I'm going to mention a fourth one in a minute, but we, we've been amazed how many people we'll run into who, once they trust us and we've, we've talked to them and maybe they've read some of our books and so on, we'll open up and say, you know, there's some things I've never told my spouse. Yeah. And imagine living with that, you know? I mean, there's never going to be a fully happy day in your life when you have a secret or a deep, dark something that you've never... And some people say, well, I can't. I don't know. I mean, if I told her, I don't know she'd leave me. Or well, it's way know. too late, yeah. 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 But it is never too late. And and it's so important. But you do it in the right way at the right time, and you you do it with the promise that if we can be completely honest and open with each other, we can form a oneness. And I, I offer you this confession in the hope that we can go beyond it and find a higher life. I thought you were just going to tell me something you've never oh. told me before. <laughs> and right here on the air, Linda, <laughs> I am now going to tell yeah. you. But um, I did want to mention there is a fourth kind of freedom that we that I talked a lot about in this book, Free to Be Free. Get, being free from society's norms, being free from trying to impress other people, and always being worried about what other people are thinking. And that's a real burden to many people. It is. It's, it's one of the hardest things in the world. and But it's hard, one of the hardest things not to think about, you know, not thinking about what are people thinking of me. Now think of this on a little more spiritual plane just for a minute. We're talking about what many people believe, and it's only in general terms because we don't know the specifics, but was there something that happened to all of us in a pre-mortal time, in a time before we were here, 
And here's what many speculate or believe or have some evidence really happened there. Well, Satan advocates a plan of freedom. He claims that he will make us free from responsibility, from challenge, from pain, even from the possibility of failure. He will free us from the agony of uncertainty, of difficult choices, of defeat and division. He will even free us from law. Christ, on the other hand, has a different position, opposite in every way. Yet it is perhaps presented in freedom terminology, implicit in the position taken by Christ is freedom of choice, a freedom to individually succeed or fail, a great and irrevocable type of freedom called agency. And Christ offers himself as a ransom for our sins and as a redemption so that we can make mistakes and yet still not forfeit our right to salvation. So what we're saying here is that this this opposite two definitions of freedom started long before, before this earth was even here. And the false kind of freedom, let me make you free from responsibility and hurt and harm and trouble and difficulty, it was always a lie. And I think most Christians believe that. Um, it's, it's really an important thing to believe, I think, uh, when you think of C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters yeah. about the little devil sitting on your shoulder all the time telling you to do things that he would want you to do and then your, your agency coming in and saying, no, this is what I, I want to do. I want to, I want Linda to just read a couple more little parts that I think kind of nail that down. A major part of the plan is agency, which we've talked about. And through its proper use, we may obtain freedom. Comparing agency to freedom is a little like comparing immortality to exaltation. Those are big words. One is given to us that through our own choice and effort, we might obtain the other. In other words, we're given agency. We're not given freedom. We're given right. agency, and if and through the proper use of that agency, we begin to gain real freedom. Uh, one is the part of the other. One can grow into the other. One is the root and the beginning of the other. Agency is one kind of freedom, freedom of moral choice, that is given to all men, and so to speak, a seedling which can grow into a tree bearing all the fruits of, of true freedom. Now, I just want to share one little parable that I think kind of nails that. Um, you want to learn to fly an airplane. You want a pilot's license. But you need to decide between two flight schools. Both schools state the same objective, to teach you how to fly. And both involve extensive on-the-ground training. But other than that, they use very drastically different methods. Think about this. Following your ground testing and flight simulation, the first school puts you in a plane and lets you solo. You're free. Where you fly and how high is up to you. You're able to have frequent, even constant radio contact with the control tower during your flight and to speak directly to the instructor. You can ask him whatever questions you want, but... As even the head of the flight school admits, there is some risk involved. 
in this solo and in this training method. He wants you, the trainer does, to understand that learning to fly simply cannot be guaranteed to be safe. About the only guarantee that is offered, and it certainly doesn't sound like much of a guarantee, is that if you wreck the plane and live to tell about it, the school will rebuild or replace the airplane at their expense and give you a second chance. The other school takes a very different approach. You don't actually fly at all, at least not by yourself. The instructor goes with you, and though you have a set of instruments and controls in your cockpit, they're just dummies. The actual controls that direct the aircraft are the instructor's. He guarantees your safety, and some call it freedom from risk. Everyone he teaches follows exactly the same course and learns precisely the same things, If you ask about when you might fly on your own, the answer is, don't even worry about that. It's too risky. Leave it up to me. I'll get you where you want to go. Or, I mean, I'll get you where I want, oh, excuse me, where you want to go. (laughs) So you see the metaphor. I mean, we really believe that's what happened. We really believe we're now operating in an atmosphere of true agency, which is risky and which involves pain and difficulty. And Linda, it never comes to a head more than in our families. I mean, when we make a decision to have children, and when we make a decision to be married and to link our lives forever to another person, my goodness, we're taking all kinds of risks. We're accepting responsibility that people who want to avoid risk would would back up from and shy away from and be afraid of. But the the whole crux of that is that because there's a risk, we make mistakes. We do things wrong. We 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 just aren't perfect. We can't figure it all out until we look back and see, oh, I should have done that. I mean, I'm not saying second guessing, but I'm just saying that, yeah, yeah. that we have to make these mistakes in order to be better people. They are the refiner's fire. Those mistakes, those things that we did wrong, we can come back from that's the best part i mean we can change we can be different we can say i'm sorry i shouldn't have done that and go on there's nothing more cleansing than actually repenting and changing what you're doing to make a better life so actually the what you're saying linda i love how you just said that the making of mistakes is actually ultimately what what improves and causes our freedom to spiral and grow because we overcome those mistakes we learn from them, and we, we grow in our ability to make better and better decisions. And Linda, don't you think in, a day, in an age of snowplow parents and helicopter parents and lawnmower parents, <laughs> don't we need to learn the lesson as parents that we need to let our kids fail? We need to let them make mistakes. We need to teach them that it's okay if they don't do everything perfect and if they mess up now and then because that's what growth is. Yeah, absolutely. We need to give them the opportunity to fail. A lot of a lot of parents think their job is to make sure their kids never have a chance to fail. To fail. It's a little like the the second flight instructor. It is. It is and we have we're spending so much time our our new most interesting book for to us right now is The Coddling of the American Mind and it's we haven't read it all, but it's so interesting because it talks about how much we coddle our children. We don't, we snowplow in front of them because we don't want them to any have anything, you know, in their path that might they might stumble over. <clears throat> 
And in the end, that is the most important thing for him to stumble once in a while and figure out, oh, that was the wrong path. I got to take this one. So may we learn to do it for ourselves, first of all, and then may we teach it to our children. The reason we call it free to be free is because we're not given freedom. We sometimes get thinking we are. We're given agency. We're given the power of choice. But it's only by making those choices well and repenting for the ones we haven't made well that we now use this agency to develop true freedom, which is freedom from guilt, freedom from fear, freedom from second-guessing ourselves. It's the truth. And as the scripture says, the truth is what makes us free. Absolutely. And it's not only important for us, it's important for our children. We wish you the very best as you think about this this week and hope you'll join us next time on Ayers on the Road. See you then. See you then.